Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask as we come to your word now that you would uh, show us from this uh, story, these events from a long time ago, show us the very beginnings of your plans to save the world. Teach us how it is that you relate to us and we ought to relate to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had to wait a really, really, really long time for something? If you remember that feeling, I, reflecting on it, I particularly felt it as a child, where having to wait a day was agony. I think, reflecting on it, your birthday was the worst day of the year. It would start fantastically. You'd get your presents and you'd rip it open and you'd jump on mum and dad at five o'clock in the morning. Right, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you'd just, and it'd be amazing and your siblings would be jealous of you because you've got all the new gear and you're just like, yes, this is so good. And then by about midday, oh, half your toys were broken already. The other half had run out of batteries or mum and dad had taken them out because they were so annoyed by it. And you're left with this sinking realisation that it's now going to be a whole year till you get to do this again. Do you remember that? It's almost like a physically painful sensation of having to wait so long. I remember December. As soon as December would hit, you'd be like, yes, Christmas. And then your parents would say, no, it's another three weeks still. Oh, I can't wait that long. I mean, you grow up and perhaps it starts to change a little bit. What do you wait for these days? I mean, some of the young adults are going to get married and they have chosen to have a rather sillyly long engagement, right? So they've got like a whole year's worth of waiting before they can get married or you're going to have your kid. At least when you're going to have children, you know the end date. You know, right, nine months and there we go. It's not this kind of uncertain, when will it happen? Today's story really is very simple. God made a promise and then they waited. And waited and waited. And God made astonishing promises to Abram. If you remember the last few chapters, God appeared to this one random nomad in the middle of the ancient Near East and he said to him, I'm going to make you great. And I'm going to make you the father of a massive nation who is going to inherit this entire land. Kings are going to come from you. And through you, blessing will come to the entire world. And all of these promises are going to belong to you and to your seed and to your offspring and to your descendants. But Abram had no children. So God promised him a child. And then the clock began to tick. Tick, tock, tick, tock. And a year passed. There was no child. I mean, fair enough, that first year, right, if you remember, there was famine and they had to go to Egypt and Sarah actually spent most of that time with another bloke. So, okay, all right, you can't have a baby. I mean, it was a bit of a sordid story. But after that year, 10 years passed. And okay, there were kings they had to chase around, if you remember last week in chapter 14, and battles and rescuing Lot and meeting Melchizedek and all this. I mean, okay, it's all a bit busy, but Abraham has now gone from being 75 to being 86. And Sarai's gone from 65 to 76 and still no child. So we pick it up in chapter 16 as the clock is ticking. Now I'm, I'm really going to read through the next couple of chapters, make some comments along the way and then we'll bring it back together. All right. So chapter 16 and verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. There's the problem. 
11 years after the promise, still no child. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, on the one hand, fair enough. Maybe. I mean, okay, sure. There's no law against, there was no prohibition. It makes sense. God had made the promise to Abram, after all, not specifically to Sarai, okay? The promise was that one of Abram's children would do it. In fact, the very first thing we ever learnt about Sarai, right back in chapter 11, is that she was barren. I mean, this, this defines this woman, unable to have children. Now she's 76, and she says, well, how about you have a child through my slave, and I'll just adopt it, that'll be my child, and then we can carry on. How about that? So on the one hand, it's fair enough. On the other hand, I mean, there's trouble when a man listens to his wife. <laughs> oh, sorry, no. There's trouble when a man listens to his wife instead of God. Sorry, just need to add. We've seen it before, haven't we? I mean, you remember what happened with Adam and Eve. And God had spoken, and the man listened to his wife instead of to God. But... Abram, the end of verse 2, agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar, gave her to her husband to be with his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Well, so we know that Abram's not shooting blanks, right? Hagar gets pregnant and kind of understandably starts to despise Sarah. Can you imagine the shame for Sarah? I mean, maybe there was this vague hope that if I give my servant to him, still nothing will come of it, and it'll be, you know, it's him, not me, if you know what I'm saying. But no. The shame she must have felt. So, verse 5 Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your hands, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's a weird response, isn't it? I mean, it was your idea. You gave your servant to him. But it's also an understandable response, isn't it? I mean, jealousy is like that. Perhaps she thought she could cope. I'll be okay when my slave woman gets pregnant. It's okay, it'll be my baby. But jealousy kicks in, and it's like that. And so your servant, Abram says, verse 6, your servant's in your hands. I mean, there's no baby yet. It's not my heir. It's just your servant. Do with her whatever you think best. So Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, the spring beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Right? You'll name him God hears. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. 
She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beelahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Berid. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. It's almost as if the blessing to Abram was just too potent. Even Ishmael, who wasn't the child of promise, he wasn't the one who would be the heir and the descendant, as we'll see in just a moment. Even over to him, the blessing spills out. You are, are going to be a great nation. Hagar, go back, return. And having seen God, she did. But Ishmael was not the child of promise. No, the clock just kept ticking. A year had passed, 10 years had passed, now another 13 years passed. 24 years they were waiting. I wonder whether Abram just didn't think, well, this is it, Ishmael, he's, he's the one, right? I mean, I've, I've got my heir, I've got the line, this is where it's going to happen. Well, chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old... The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant, my agreement, my contract between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my contract with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. What an astonishing promise. Remember, Abram was just one in a family. He was just one of the descendants of Noah. He was just one of the descendants of Adam. And yet God says to this one man, Your children will be mine and I will be theirs. And you're going to get the whole land to go with it, by the way. An astonishing covenant. And then God said to Abram, verse 9, He's your side. As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from 89-year-old menopausal Sarah. Abraham fell face down and he laughed, as well he might. Will a man be born, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Ah, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Come on, God. Really? Now, I don't know if he just didn't believe that it could happen, or he just really didn't want it to happen. I can't imagine being 99. I mean, I'm 35, and man, my two-year-old kills me. Can you imagine being 99 and having to change nappies and goo-goo-gaga and holy moly? But it's good to see that even the man of faith had doubts. A point where he said, really, God? I've already got a son. You've done it. You, we, we, we can carry on, right? Ishmael. God said, verse 19, oh, Yes, you've got Ishmael, sure, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers and I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And it's almost like the clock suddenly speeds up a little bit. That moment when you see the end date coming. When he finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him on that very day. He laughed, yes, but he obeyed. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male, including those born or bought, were circumcised with him. He laughed. He had this moment of, you've got to be joking, God. This can't truly be what you mean to do, to do. And this promise can't really come about as you've spoken it. But I will believe and I will obey and I will keep the contract. And so all of a sudden we're barreling now towards the birth of one named Isaac. Now I wonder whether chapters 17 and 18 don't happen concurrently. In both of them, the Lord appears to Abram, and in both of them, he says, in one year, you're going to have a child. So whether chapter 17 is sort of part of the conversation that happened in chapter 18 as they're present, I don't know. But again, chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, bowed low to the ground. He knew he's someone special. If I've found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, that you may all wash your feet, rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. 
So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of fine flour, knead it, bake some bread. He ran to the herd, selected a choice, tender... I wonder if Abraham was New Zealander. Sorry, just a little reflection. Choice. Anyway, tender calf. He gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Well, they're in the tent, he said. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Maybe Abraham hadn't told Sarah what God had said. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old, well advanced. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed. After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have the pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. Isaac promised. Can you blame her for laughing? I mean, it's got to sound like a big joke. Three strangers walk, into, walk under the shade of a tree. I mean, it sounds like a joke, right? And they meet Abraham, and Abraham says, Come, wash your feet. And they say, Your 90-year-old wife will have a child. And she laughs. Right at the end. It's not a great joke, but... Come over to chapter 21. Just really briefly, we're not going to read a lot of it. Chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Twenty-five years they waited. Patiently, longingly, believing, Is anything too hard for the Lord? The woman who could not conceive bore a child, the child of promise. For to him, to Isaac, not to Ishmael, not to Eliezer of Damascus, but to him, to Isaac, would come all the inheritance. God made a promise and then they waited. Okay, there's the story. What do we do with it? Now, do you remember last week, Joe gave us a principle for how to interpret the Bible. Do you remember what it was? It's three words. Scripture interprets Scripture. that's, That's the very basic premise of how you understand the Bible. Reading the Bible, learning this, is not about my interpretation and your interpretation and us sitting down to work out which is the best interpretation. No, the Bible interprets itself. Our job is to read it and understand it. Now, Joe mentioned last week uh, two ways, two important aspects of allowing the scriptures to interpret themselves. Do you remember what they were? I feel like I'm doing a cell lesson now. We're doing revision from last week. Uh, 
Now, firstly, the context, right? You've got to allow what is around the passage to shape it. And then secondly, the New Testament, right? Context and New Testament. How do the New Testament writers read and interpret that part of the Bible? Now, I want to flesh that out a little bit today and suggest three levels, three levels at which we can do the same sort of task. See, firstly, we could just read this story and learn the lessons of godliness, We could do that. We could read about the characters and how they interact with each other and with God. We could see their sin. We can see what they're praised for and learn lessons of godliness. Secondly, we can understand it at the level of the covenant. That is, where does this bit of the Bible fit into God's unfolding plan? See, as you go through the Old Testament in particular until you get to Jesus, it's kind of an outworking of exactly these promises. Right, so the lessons of godliness, where does it fit in the grand story? And then thirdly, what's the Christian message? What does the New Testament have to say about this part of the Bible? So let's do that briefly together. Firstly, lessons of godliness. As we look at these people, what are we to learn? Now, Abraham is held up as a model of the man of faith time and time and time again. And yet, and yet we see that he is not a perfect man. To be a follower of the Lord Jesus doesn't require of you perfection. He had his moments of doubt as he laughed. He had his moments of, you could almost say, disobedience as he follows his wife's suggestion and goes with Hagar to kind of force God's hand. And yet he was a man of faith. He did obey. God said, get circumcised. That very day he went and, right, chop, off it came. Brave man. I don't know, was it worth it? All the promises of the blessing of all of mankind, but you've got to have this little snip. Anyway, he listened to God. He believed God's promises. He acted upon them. Even when the circumstances seemed impossible, still he believed God. What about Sarah? What lesson can we learn from Sarah? Now, I find it really hard to like her. I'll be honest with you. Every interaction she ever seems to have is just mean. Spiteful. She's full of this jealousy and envy and rivalry. I mean, she made a slave run away by being so harsh to her. As we come to the next few chapters, after 21, where Isaac is born, she kicks Hagar and Ishmael out to go and die in the desert. I mean, she's just... I wonder if we don't just see in her reality. This is natural. This is people. It's not that she's particularly bad. This is just what we are. She's just true to her own sinful nature. And yet... At the age of 90, she kept trying, if you know what I'm saying. She believed God enough. In fact, when you come to 1 Peter chapter 3, she is held up as an example of godliness in in an astonishing way. You are her daughters, it says, if you do what is right and do not give in to fear. What about Hagar? What can we learn from her? Well, again, right, I... Looking with contempt upon Sarah, is she just another example of reality? This is what mankind and womankind, this is what humanity is like. 
Hard done by, yes. Long-suffering, yes. And yet she also did obey God. God said, go back. Return to the mistress who is abusing you because I'm going to watch over you. God sees, she named God, because I have seen the one who sees me. In that moment of knowing God, she trusted him enough to return. What do we learn about God? Well, we certainly see his providential care. I mean, even Hagar, an Egyptian slave who's bearing a son that is not the promised son, you could forgive God for just going, oh, well, that's not the one. I mean, the one's over here. And yet still providing, caring, watching over her. But even more so, we see of God that he will fulfill his plan. Sin couldn't stop him. The impossibility of an empty womb couldn't stop him. God's purposes will come about. So, lessons of godliness. Now, what do we learn at the level of the big picture of the covenant of God? Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this, because really, right now, we're at the beginning. You don't have to learn any more than, here are the promises that set up the rest of the Bible. In fact, you could read the rest of the Bible, and at any point, particularly in the Old Testament, and at any point along the way in the story, just ask yourself, how are the promises that God made to Abraham being fulfilled here? How are the promises being fulfilled here? How are they being fulfilled here? How are they being fulfilled here? And you'd get a lot out of it. You need to know these promises. They set up the rest of it. We're at the very beginning of God's salvation story. But what about our third level then? What is the Christian message here? What does the New Testament have to say about this passage? Now, the easiest way for yourself when you're doing this exercise, the easiest way to do it is just to see which parts of the New Testament quote the passage that you're reading. And our pew Bibles are really unhelpful at this point because they don't have cross-references. So if you have a Bible at home, and I strongly encourage you to have one, you really want to get one that has cross-references. Someone else has done the work for you. You just look down the middle or down the bottom, depending on your publication, and it'll show you this verse refers to, and it points you to another verse over here. And then you go, all right, okay, I'll go and look it up and see what it says. And you just go and look up through the New Testament passages that are quoting the one that you're reading at the moment, and you will find what the New Testament has to say. Now, interestingly, chapter 18 and verse 14 is mentioned... Right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Think about the moment when the angel appears to Mary. Another very familiar story, right? Here is a womb with no possibility of a child. I'm a virgin. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But really, right now, I want to take you to Romans and two passages in Romans. The first one is Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, if you're in the Pew Bible, you're looking at page 1097. What lesson does Paul draw from this story of Abraham? Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. And here's the point. I'll tell you the point and then we'll go through it. The point is God's, God will bring about his purposes. That's a very simple point. It doesn't matter how adverse the circumstances are. It doesn't matter how impossible it is that it might happen. God will bring about his purposes. See, you could be forgiven for asking, just before we come to Romans 9, you could be forgiven for asking, did God's word fail? 
I don't know if you know the history of Israel very well. God promised to Abraham, I will be your God. Your descendants after you will be my people. I will give you the land. You will become a great and mighty nation. You will bless the entire world. And what happened? Israel turned their backs on God. They fell off into sin. They decided to abandon him and God took it all from them. No longer a great nation. In fact, exiled from the promised land. Seemingly no longer their God. And then, to make it even worse, Jesus comes along and includes into God's people, people from outside of Israel. And cuts off a whole bunch of Israelites and says, they're not really my people anyway. Did God's word fail? Well, chapter 9, verse 6 in Romans. No, it's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated, at the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. So did Israel's sin and rejection of God somehow thwart his purposes? Is it that if we just start on our own path, God's going to find himself put out and have to come up with a plan B and just roll back on what he said previously? No. See, in God's plan, it was always the children of the promise who were the children of God. Abraham had two sons. If it was purely by descent, then they should have both received the blessing. But Isaac was the one, not Ishmael. God's purposes don't depend on people and some sort of, well, anything descendants or works or religiosity or it it depends entirely upon God and his promises he is the one who is at work collecting and electing his people his plan his way and it's illustrated for us in this story back in Genesis 15 to 18 who made Isaac the heir God, I mean, Abraham said, well, Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. Sarai said, well, how about Hagar's son can be the heir? And, and both of them rightly would have had a claim before God said, no, Isaac is the heir. He's the one who determined who his people would be. God will work his purposes out no matter how adverse the circumstances Even if the opportunities aren't there, even if it's seemingly impossible, even if people are sinful, still he will accomplish what he sets out to do. But more so, even more than that, we learn in these encounter, come back to Romans chapter 4, the the last passage we're going to look up now, we learn the fundamental way in which people are to relate to God. There you go. If you came this morning thinking to yourself, I want to learn what is... Just at at its basic level, how should I be relating to God? You want to learn that? Well, here we go. Chapter 4 in Romans and verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? 
If in fact Abraham was justified by works, by something he did, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's the very basis of how to relate rightly to God. You listen to what he says, you hear his promise, and you believe him. And that is credited as righteousness. That is considered as what is necessary. There are no works, there is no law keeping, there is no religion, not even circumcision will bring you close to God will somehow count for something before him. No, come over to verse 16. The promise comes by faith, that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, that is, those who hear God and believe him. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Abraham was told something by God. This time next year you will have a son. And Abraham believed. He was convinced that God could do it, irrespective of the circumstances. He went on believing God's word, and it is the same for us. Jump down to verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. I don't know how you walked in the door today. For many of us, our lives are about being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just means being a follower. We have a desire to be like him and to live his way. And we make decisions based on that desire. I don't know how you came in the door. On what basis you think that you can rightly come and be a follower of the Lord Jesus. That you can rightly relate to God. And I want to tell you, if it's on the basis of anything other than hearing his promises and trusting them, then you're going down the wrong path. And what an astonishing promise it is. Credited righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Delivered for our sins. Raised to life for our justification. You know, in one sense, today's sermon doesn't really have a practical application. I don't have a go and do for you. But in another sense, this is the most practical application I could possibly give you. As you leave and as you think about being a follower of Jesus, living God's way in God's world. On what basis? Is it on the fact that you came to church today and last week and the week before and you'll come at Christmas, you'll take communion later on? Maybe you're going to go out and get circumcised. I don't know, right? I... Rather today, please, hear God's promise. Your sin dealt with in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity guaranteed in him for you. All you've got to do is trust that God has done that for you. 
it may seem impossible. You might look at your own past and go, are you kidding me? That God would pay for that? You might look at your own life now and go, really? God wants me? You may look at your future and think, no, but I like my future a bit too much. Give it up. He will pay for your sin and he will give you a future so much greater than whatever you have dreamed of now. For the promises to Abraham flow through the seed, through the Lord Jesus Christ and on into his people, the true children of Abraham, the children of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this part of your word. We thank you for this man, Abraham, that you chose many, many, many years ago. The promises that you made him, seemingly impossible, astonishing promises. And yet, Father, your word is good. You kept them. Isaac, the child of promise, born. Nothing too hard for you. Father, teach us that this is the right way to come before you, to hear you speak and to trust and to listen and to believe and to obey. And so, Father, as we seek to be disciples who make disciples, as we pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, teach us to hear your word and believe. Amen.